I want to thank everybody that has sent out either an email or a phone call with support in the midst of this particular little two-week deal. We're finishing a series this week. We start a brand new series on, on the Trinity next weekend. And uh, I hope you'll come back. It's one of those mysterious things. St. Augustine said to try and understand the Trinity was to lose your mind. Um, so I'm going to try and lose my mind for the next three weeks or so after uh, this weekend. But I want to thank those of you that have been supportive. This is not an easy topic to discuss, especially considering what's going on in our world today. Um, I got a letter. I'm going to cherish it for the rest of my life this week from an unsaved guy. He doesn't know Jesus. He's just here checking it out. And he wrote and said, you know what? I don't know why people get so fired up about this, but he said, thank you for shooting straight. Thank you for dealing with some of my misconceptions about the whole church money deal. But most of all, thank you for telling me just what God said, okay? I contrast that with a letter from somebody who's been saved, said they were saved for like 40 plus years, who took deep exception to everything that I said last week and basically said, I'm going to be disobedient because I, th I think I am God's grand exception. And uh, it will be my joy to try and offend at some level with that kind of stuff again when we take another run at this one. So I appreciate the support in a deep, deep way. I have a little visual that I'm going to share with you this morning. It's over here to the side. I'm going to get the guys to show that. Um, you know what that is? That, that's the money you could be saving if you switched to Geico. That's <laughs> I'm sorry. It was right there. I had to take it, right? You had to take a shot at it. You know, I used to think that that was just money, but after almost 20 years as a pastor, I know different. I really do. I've seen that over there used as a weapon between two people that used to love each other. I have seen parents choose that over their kids. I've watched what's sitting on that table over there keep brothers from speaking to each other for more than two decades. I have watched that over there cause early heart attacks for people that tried to get more of it and spent their whole life trying to figure out how they were going to acquire it. I've watched that steal a heart that was after God and turn it into a heart that only cared about one thing, and that was trying to just get more stuff. You know what else I've seen that do? I've seen that bring water to a village in Africa that never had water before in human history. I've watched that be transformed into food at our food bank and feed between four and 500 people every single week that otherwise wouldn't have had a warm meal that day. I've watched that over there bring joy to families who blew up the, the ownership myth that we talked about last week and exchanged it for the stewardship truth that we talked about last week. I've seen that stuff over there when used with godly wisdom knock the God of stuff on his backside. And bring honor and glory to the one true God who actually owns all that stuff over there. You know, the truth is that stuff can mess you up. We're all carrying the weight of the misuse of that kind of stuff in our culture. In the U.S. alone, people are carrying $970 billion. Wrap your brain around that. $970 billion in credit card debt. It's up 50% in the last decade. I mean, has anybody else noticed how those pre-approved credit card things have just disappeared from our mailboxes? Suddenly, you're not pre-approved for anything anymore, are you? Just like me, right? And we may have all, all have very, very different opinions as to how it was that we actually got here, but I think we could all agree on one thing in this room here this morning. We're living in the world that we're living in because of one thing, good old-fashioned greed. 
That's how we got here. So in light of all that, what in the world do we do? I sat with a couple this week and prayed with them because they're about seven to eight days away from losing their house. I, I prayed with a guy this week, 27 years with the same company, walked in on Wednesday, they handed him a box and a pink slip, said you need to turn in your keys and be out by two o'clock this afternoon. I mean, how in the world do you talk about this stuff when people are living with the pain of it right now? I only know one thing to do. And that's to tell you what it is that God says we're supposed to do when money's tight and times are tough. His wisdom still reigns true. Luke chapter 16, the Bible says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, last week we learned who it all belongs to, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That little Greek word there that we translate money is actually the word mammon. It's got a, it, it's got a, a bigger understanding of it. Mammon actually means stuff. Everything that you attach yourself to, all of the, that stuff that's out there, that's what it means. You can't serve God in stuff. You know, and I talked about your stuff last week when we blew up the ownership myth by actually informing everybody, much to some of your disappointment, that it ain't your stuff. None of it actually belongs to you. I wanted to find out whether or not one of my little theories from last year came true again, so I went and checked some business records, and I found out that... The U.S. is still obsessed with stuff. You know how I know that? There was one sector of business last year in the U.S. that still grew by 23% in one calendar year. Can anybody guess what it is? You, some of you were listening last year. Storage units. Storage units. We haven't got enough room in our houses for our stuff, so we're now renting space to store the stuff that we don't even use anymore. I mean, stuff has taken over the entire planet, it seems like, and the Bible unequivocally says you can't serve both God and stuff. I mean, I didn't say it, Jesus did. So we got a choice to make. Who are you going to serve? If you're going to make a decision, are you going to serve stuff or are you going to serve God? Because the Bible just told you you can't do both. Let me tell you how we kind of serve stuff, how we serve money. This is what the world's going to tell you to do this week. It's, it's going to tell you to go out there and make it, all right? I made a little chart in your program. It's going to tell you to go out there and make it, and you're going to make it because it's yours, and it's your blood and your sweat and your tears. And last week we talked about that the blood actually doesn't belong to you, and the sweat doesn't belong to you, and the tears don't belong to you. They actually belong to God because he's the one that decides whether or not you're breathing or not. But they're going to tell you to go out there and make it. And then they're going to say, as soon as you make it, you need to own it. You need to put your embossed initials on everything that you own because it's your stuff. And then it's going to tell you to hoard it. You're supposed to keep as much of it as you can. And the message you're going to send to every other human being is you better keep your hands off my stuff. And then if you're the grand exception, the world's going to tell you, you probably should save a little because someday you may not be able to work the way you're working right now. So you need to be able to have save. And then as a very last resort, if you got nothing else to do with it, then you might decide to actually give just a little bit of it away. That's what the world's going to tell you. Maybe not in those certain terms, but that's the message that they're given every single week. 
God's got another plan. If you read scripture, if you're going to serve God, this is what he says. You're actually going to go out there and you're going to earn it. You're going to earn it because he's going to give you the power, the strength, the drive and all that. And you're going to actually go out there and make a living and you're going to earn it. And then in response to earning it, you're going to steward it. Because you don't own anything, you're going to get to steward it. It's not your stuff. God's going to bless you with it. He's going to loan it to you for a little while, and you're going to get to steward it. And someday, you're going to stand in front of him and give an account, just like I am. And like we said last week, when I'm in the room answering for my stuff, oh, sorry, Freudian slip. When I'm in the room answering for his stuff, you're not going to be there. And I'm not going to be there when you give your account either. Then God actually says we are supposed to save it. We're supposed to, to man, I'm going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. There's another element that God talks about, that we're actually supposed to repay it. As a follower of the Most High God, we're not supposed to carry massive amount of debt with us because it ruins our testimony. And if we do owe somebody something, we're supposed to be the first one to try and pay them back. It's a matter of honor and integrity. And then finally, here's a crazy thing. God actually says you're supposed to enjoy it. You're allowed to enjoy the stuff that he gave you. That's why he gave it to you. And you're not supposed to feel guilty about it. You're actually supposed to enjoy it and use it because that's why he gave it to you in the first place. Last week I said biblical stewardship was not about your wallet. It's about your heart. This week I'm going to add another statement. Stewardship is not a matter of income. It's a matter of trust. Will you or won't you Decide to trust God's plan even when times are tough and money's tight. All right? So, I'm not big on acrostics. I don't use nice, tidy little things. If you're here, you all understand that I don't normally do that, but this one just kind of fell into an acrostic. I've used it for a couple of years. For some of you, this is review. Awesome. Um, For some of you, this might be new. We're just going to walk it through. This is God's plan for stewardship. If you don't like it, you can write a letter to Jesus and appeal it. I don't think he's going to change, all right? But this is what it says. Here's the T in trust. It's to actually track your finances. Proverbs 27, Scripture says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. The Bible says you're to know the condition of your finances. Now, unless you're a goat farmer, this verse may need a little bit of translation. It's pretty simple. Whether you need to know the condition of your flocks or need to know the condition of your stocks, whatever that happens to be, God basically says that he wants you to be able to track it. It's godly to know where you're at financially, every single penny. Every Saturday, my wife, Laurel, I'm deeply blessed. I'm married to an accountant, right? She can, I mean, to the penny every single week. I can ask her, how much did we spend on spam in the last 365 days? She could probably break that out for you. I mean, it's just incredible. It's an amazing gift. She sits down and tracks every penny that we have. Last week, I confessed to you my financial method, which I used for many years, it was called the, if you're within 400 bucks, call it good, Grant Fishbook method. Didn't work out so good for me, all right? Not good at all. And I remember when God convicted me of this, I thought I was just being undisciplined. It's not that big of a deal, so I don't know where every penny goes. Then I read Luke 16, and I found out it wasn't just undisciplined, it was ungodly. If you're married, both of you should know exactly where every penny goes. If you're a single person here today, you should know exactly where every penny of God's stuff is going. My encouragement to you is not to try and keep a secret because God knows where it's all going because it's all His. It's important for you to track it. Here's the R. 
Return 10% to its rightful owner. This is where it gets crazy, all right? So this is where it gets crazy, complicated. Went to four years of Bible college. I've done some seminary. I'm going to try and boil down approximately eight years of higher education and make this as simple as I possibly can, but it's very complicated. So we're going to go visual on this one as best I can. And so here we go. I'm going to lay out for you as best I can God's plans for how you're supposed to handle his stuff. Okay, so I want you to stick with me. Give your brain, I mean, whatever you need to do, but we're going to stay right here, okay? So here it goes, all right? Take my best shot. For every 10 of these that God gives you of his stuff, you give one of them back to him. Okay, I probably went too fast. I'm going to try it again. It's theology, my friends. This is theology, okay? So, one more try. I'll do better. For every 10 of these (laughs) that God gives you of his stuff, you're supposed to give one of them back to him in an act of trust and gratitude. Any questions? I mean, we try to make it so complicated. We try to, to twist it into something bigger. And I know some of you are going, okay, that's your thing, dude. Where does it say that in the Bible? Malachi 3. <laughs> Bring the whole tithe. That's Bible language for tenth, okay? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Here's the kicker. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's God's principle right there, okay? God wants 10%. Some of you say, why 10%? I have no idea, right? God could have put the number wherever he wanted to. It all belongs to him, all right? He decided on 10. That's the number that he picked. He has it all. And this is, okay, this is how it works. So he has it all. He loans it to you for about 80, 90 years. And then your family's going to fight over what's left over after you're dead and gone. And eventually it's all going to end up back with him anyway, okay? But he's got a loan stipulation. He gives you that for that 80, 90 year period. Here's the loan stipulation. He wants 10% back. Now, I, I mean, I'm a quizzical person. I'm, I want to I know why. Why do you need 10%? I mean, does God need the interest? Is there a recession in heaven? Are we trying to manufacture a human economic bailout of the Almighty? I mean, what's the deal with that whole thing? Is he just trying to play some kind of a game with me? Is this a church conspiracy thing? Why? I'll tell you why. It's an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude. It's an act of trust. It's a way of living out my priorities And believing that when God says, you can actually test me in this and see what, it's the only time in all of scripture where God says to his created people, give it your best shot. You just test me and see whether or not this actually works out. I know it doesn't look like it makes a whole lot of sense, but you just try. You know, for the record, the test needs to take place over a period longer than a week, okay? I hear people, you know, I tried it for four whole days, nothing. Nothing. I got nothing back, all right? 
an expanded period of time when you as a created human being get to test God Almighty Himself and see whether or not He won't actually be a God of His Word. Malachi gives us the how. 1 Corinthians tells us the when. 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. There's a simple principle in there. It's that it's supposed to be a regular thing. That God's supposed to do that. You're supposed to put God number one on a regular basis over and over and over again. One more verse for your consideration. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, before we move on, to those of you who are already planning on sending me the but grant tithing's an Old Testament principle and I'm a New Testament Christian so I don't need to do that letter, okay? I know they're coming because I get them all of the time. I just want to say this to you. If you want to go New Testament giving, let's do that. Let's do that. Because in the New Testament, Jesus pushes aside the 10 and he adds a zero on the end of it. He says, I want 100% commitment from everyone that would call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is not for you. You just get to watch everybody else squirm as we talk about this, okay? In the New Testament, Jesus pushes aside the 10, he puts a zero on the end, he goes, I'm talking 100%, complete, absolute, unrestrained, total sacrifice and surrender. So if you want to argue Old Testament versus New Testament with me, you better be willing to put your life where your mouth is. I'm going to add one more point. In the New Testament, Jesus adds another thing. He says you're supposed to do it with a joyful, cheerful heart, so if you write me a nasty letter, you better put a little smiley face at the end of it or you're not being biblical, all right? I'm having fun, right? So, we teach tithing because it's a good starting point. And we learned that last week, right? It's, not, it's a starting point, not a finish line. Scripture says we're not to despise the day of small beginnings. This is about starting small and being obedient. Here's the you and trust. It's use good planning to gain victory. I mean, financial planning starts with having a good budget. Some of you are like, what did he say? <laughs> budget. It's not a bad word. If you don't have a plan for your spending, you're heading for financial disaster. Laurel and I built a house two years ago. At one point in the construction, a plumber came in. He put pipes and stuff like that all over the house. It is so cool. Now, I go upstairs, I turn on the sink, water comes out. I go into the shower, turn on the water, water comes out. In the toilet, there's water. I mean, there's water where it's supposed to be. You know, you would say somebody's crazy. If they built a house and then connected a pipe from the water main in the street into the basement and just turned it on, filled up the basement and said, well, we needed water, so now we got it, right? You'd think that was crazy. But isn't that exactly what we do with our finances, right? We connect our wish list to our paycheck, connect that thing up, turn on the valve, let it rip, right? Unless we are making decisions about where things need to go, we're going to end up drowning in the basement of a financial nightmare. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. That verse takes on one of the greatest financial myths in our modern society. The myth says this. If I just make a little more, then I'll be financially secure. Actually, if you don't have a plan for making a little more, all you're doing is digging a deeper hole for you to have to crawl out of somewhere down the road. 
You know how I know that? I know it because of a principle taught in Scripture. Yearnings always exceed earnings. I want that truck so bad. I can't afford it, but the guy at the lot said that I qualified for special financing. And that he and I were good friends. And that he was going to give me a deal that he only saved for his best friends. Yearnings always exceed earnings. You know how I know that's true? I know it's true because, I don't know about you, but I have never watched a television commercial where at the end, some guy or gal just showed up and said, you know, this is a great product. But before you buy it, this is what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to go home and think about it. We'd like you to take a few moments and maybe consult your spouse or your significant other. And then we need you to go home and go through your budget, make sure that this is actually good, that you have the cash in hand. And if you'd think about it, for somewhere between 24 and 72 hours, we'll be waiting for you when you come back so you can make a good decision. I've never seen that commercial. You know what I see? I see commercials that say, oh, you need this right now. This is a -a one-of-a-kind deal. This is one of those moments when you just have to have it. Even though you didn't even know it existed five minutes ago, you now need it in your life because everybody needs a potato slicer that slices, it dices, it turns things into julienne fries so you can make your own stuff at home, right? What's the message? You need it right this second. Proverbs 21.20, one of my favorite verses. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. That's redneck scripture right there, isn't it? Right? (laughs) Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. That's what the Bible says. (laughs) Right? Some of us should tattoo that verse on our credit card hand, right? You know, if you don't think this is a problem in our country, uh, I just want to give you a bit of a wake-up call. American consumers are over a trillion dollars in debt. More than half of the population of this country doesn't pay their credit cards off each month because they can't afford to. And by the way, the average in this country is five cards with a $2,000 balance on each one. That's the average. That means half of the people have more than that. The personal bankruptcy rate has gone up over 35% in just two years. This is not a problem that the church can ignore anymore. Not if we really love people. Here's the S in trust. It's saved for the future. Proverbs 21 again. The wise store up choice food and oil. The fools gulp theirs down. I was looking at my 2.801K last week. You know what that is, right? I used to have a 401K. Now it's a 2.801K, all right? (laughs) You feel my pain, right? I'm not a financial whiz, but I know a negative number when I see one. I was going over the books at the end of the year, and here's what comforted me. It's not my stuff, and it's not my future. It doesn't belong to me. But that doesn't excuse the principle, does it? The principle says wise people store up a certain amount. You know why I know this is a problem here in this country? Last year, for every dollar that was earned, we spent a buck thirty-three. It's the national average. That is nothing but trouble. 
And God says there's something very godly about setting aside something that you're going to need for down the road. Now, I want us to understand something. The Bible says we're to save, not stockpile. In fact, the Bible tells a story. Jesus tells a story once of this guy who's got so much stuff, he hasn't got room to contain it. So he actually tears down the storage structures, builds bigger ones, and then fills those up too. And at the end of the day, when he's done building all of these big barns, he actually dies. And God has a name for him. He calls him a fool. He calls him a fool because he invested in stuff and not in God's kingdom. Here's the T. Getting ready to wrap up here pretty close. I need to testify that my God's enough. Hebrews 13. This is as clear to believers as I can possibly make it. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. About three weeks ago, this congregation stood on their feet. I walked out right over there, and these were the lyrics that you sang together in corporate worship. And all of you is more than enough for. All of me, for every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough enough. I know you sang it. Do you live it? We're going to add something to trust. We're just going to add a little ing this week. We're going to add the ing and turn it into trusting because I believe stewardship is active. The question that I think needs to be asked is what part of your life can you reprioritize today that will allow you to be a blessing both to God and other people? Some of you with a more high church background may be observing something called Lent right now. It has deep, rich, historical roots in Christianity. Lent is when people give something up in order to show devotion for God. Now I want you to understand something. It's not just about giving something up. I talk to people all the time that say they're fasting because they're giving up food. I want you to understand something. If you're fasting, simply giving up food and not replacing the time when you would be eating with prayer, you're not actually fasting, you're just on a diet, okay? <laughs> Those principles are there is that we give something up and then we take all of that time and we roll it over into what God wants us to do. I saw it happen the other day friend of mine, I see him at a local coffee shop here fairly often on a regular basis. He pulls into the parking lot, parks in front of the store, and sits there for about 25, almost 30 minutes. I kept waiting for him to come in. He didn't come in. Finally, I see his car back, and I'm thinking, that's weird. Maybe there's something wrong. So I run out and, like, knock on his window. I'm like, are you okay? You doing all right? Like, normally you come in the building and purchase your beverage, and then that's what you do, right? He says, oh, no, no, no. He goes, I'm, I'm observing Lent. I gave up coffee for right now. He's very grumpy, just so you know, right? So, because <laughs> I gave up coffee, but this is, I didn't want to just give something up. So he goes, I, I do my normal morning routine. I pull in here and then I spend the 20 to 30 minutes that I would normally spend inside of the store. I spend it praying that God would reprioritize my whole day. That's awesome. What could you release to God today for His glory? What, what do you have that God could redeem to bless somebody else? 
What ing could you add to trusting today to make this stick? So I'm going to close with this because we're getting short on time. I did something this week that I think a lot of you will be doing sometime between now and April the 16th. I went and hung out with my tax guy, right? And I brought my little file folder in that represents my financial life. And, and uh, I had it all color-coded according to paper clips. It was, it's a thing of beauty. It truly was, really. <laughs> for some of you, it's a sickness. For other things, it's a good thing, all right? You're talking my language. And I went and sat in with my tax guy. And he went through our stuff, charitable donations. You know, somebody asked me last week, they said, so let me get this straight. You taught this tithing thing, and so the church pays you, right? Yeah. Then you turn around and kick it right back? Yeah. What they were really asking was, do I practice what I preach? I didn't for a long time. I do now. And I do it with great joy because I see how God uses it here. I see it. So we go through charitable donations, W-2s. I mean, we just go through the whole thing. Just like, you know, you're all going to have to do it at some point too, right? If, if you're not going to do it, we probably should talk, all right? So there's a little render to Caesar thing that Jesus probably wants to comment on. So we finish up everything, and this guy's name's Randy, and he actually goes to North County, Christ the King, and he's been doing this for me for a couple of years. We go through all the stuff, and we do the financial stuff, and then we just sit and talk about church. And he was asking, he'd heard about our baptisms a couple weeks ago. He was talking about how what was in that little file folder just played a teeny little part in what we got to witness. And we're all done, and I shake his hand, and we'll see you. He goes, you know, I'll have it prepared in a couple weeks. I go back out, and I sit in my little VW in front of his office, and I'm holding this little file folder that just simply represents... God's stuff and my stewardship. And as I'm sitting there looking at this file folder, all I can hear in my head is this verse that keeps saying, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all of this other stuff, it'll be added. And I had to ask myself the question, is what I'm holding in my hands, does that really... Show what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. I can hear another verse. Jesus saying, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in that verse, or in that little folder, I'm asking, is this really my treasure? Is this really where my heart lives? Or does it live with lost, broken, and hurting people? And am I willing to do whatever it takes whatever it costs to help them know more about Jesus. And way, way, way off in the background, I can hear this German voice. My grandpa came to this country with basically nothing in his pockets. He, he was a farmer in Swan River, Manitoba, up in the middle of nowhere, literally. And I could hear him, the sound of him shaving on a Sunday morning with one of those old straight razors. And singing with this light, kind of a German-Polish accent. We're the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my life 
my soul, my all. Don't let this stand in the way of this. Got ready to leave last night, standing at the back. Young couple that I've been watching here for a while. She's got 90 days clean and sober. He just accepted the Lord, husband and wife. Standing at the back door, that's cool. Standing at the back door, and I walked out of my office, and she, she's asking her husband a question. So are we going to be obedient or not? He looked at her and he says, I don't know. Are we going to be obedient or not? That question is not between me and you. That question is between you and your Savior. And if you want to know how He feels about it, for God so loved the world that He gave. pray. God, thank you for truth even when it hurts and stings. Thank you for the wisdom of Scripture. God, I acknowledge this morning that this is hard to hear, even harder to speak. God, I pray in Jesus' name that your family would be faithful when money's tight and times are tough. May we truly live out our testimony that you are more than enough us. I thank you, God, for fresh starts, that your faithfulness is new and fresh every morning. May we live with that grace today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.